Hello and welcome to another Tour Talk. My name is Rich Ryan. Today we are bringing you an interview with athlete Nick Mask. And Nick is entering only his second season as an OCR athlete and he's already been featured as one of Jack Bauer's top athletes to watch in the sport for 2021. And we know Jack Bauer is 100% correct all the time. So this is a really interesting insight into a very high-level athlete. And Nick is a four-time NAIA collegiate All-American, and he was the winner of the OCR Stars Mile in 2020, and he actually finished top 10 overall. And he's also managed to find himself on some podiums in some in the brief amount of racing that he had in 2020. And we talk about how he was able to take the finishes from like the 20s and the 30s and how he was able to race himself into podium contention. And along those lines, we talk about how he's been able to improve his OCR race IQ. And Nick is soon to be a father. So we talked about how he plans to balance training at a high level with brand new family life. So I love this conversation. Nick is a great athlete, super authentic, really humble, and not that fake type of humble, like real humble. And he has a fresh perspective and a really positive attitude. I love this dude. It was a great convo, and I think we're going to get a lot out of it. Here is Nick Mask. So in Hungary, if you were to buy a mask, that's how you would, if you were to buy one online, it would I, I believe felt so. like your last yeah. name. That's what you do. Huh. Interesting, man. Well, dude, I appreciate you popping on. Um, Nick Mask, Mosk, and is it, do people only say Masik? Everyone says Masik, Mazik. Uh, yeah. I mean, you got the Z in there. They throw so, well, it's four consonants, right? Yeah, like not, not many vowels in this together. name. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, cool, dude. Well, I appreciate you joining me today. Uh, and I just want to kind of do a deep dive about who you are as an athlete, some of the goals you got going on, uh, for obstacle course racing, some of the stuff you've done, done in the past. So why don't you just give us a, a quick snapshot of where you are, are right now. Uh, so tell us a little bit about where you live and like train. Sure. Um, so I live in La Grande, Oregon. It's, uh, like Northeast Oregon. Um, terrain wise like i shouldn't say terrain like elevation wise we're high up enough that we just get bombarded in the winter so right now training is cold and like really wet um it's been kind of weird it's been hotter so it's actually just doing a whole lot of raining which usually doesn't happen we usually have like feet of snow by now Mm. so the running side of things is better than it could be um but i expect like january february is going to be really really snowy and cold and so, the, yeah, was, we were talking uh, a week or two ago, and I didn't realize you get actually buried in snow. I thought you got some snow and, like, it would come and go, but, like, you just can't even get on the trails. Yeah, we get, we get uh, like, it's bad. Um, we've had years where the snow drifts on the side of the road are, like, over 10 feet high. Oh, my God, really? Yeah, like, whenever you hear on the news, like, oh, what's happening in, like, Buffalo, New York, and it, like, looks terrible, it's, like, a mirror image over here. Um, are you serious? Because we live in the mountains, it, yeah, we get, we get a ton of snow. Cause they say it's like lake effect, right. And like Syracuse or Buffalo, cause they're right off a lake and things come just the moisture. Yeah, comes, um, comes down. I think, I don't know what, I don't know what it is with the, with the pre- uh, precipitation here, but because we live in a Valley, so like I'm in a bowl in, in a mountain range. So the heat kind of just like comes right over the top and then all the hot air gets sucked out. And so, yeah, they like drain where I live. They, they drained a swamp like it used to be all swampland and they drained all the water out. And so we just live in like this little empty basin where the water used to be. Oh, to build, to build houses. They, that's yeah, they, to build houses. So it's, 
yeah, I don't know. Just winter hits and it gets super duper cold and lots of snow, hard, hard winters. Do you like the snow? Uh, I like to play in it. <laughs> I don't like to train in it. Yeah. Do you do out, other outdoorsy things to do? Like, can you ski and snowboard and cross country? Yeah, ski I was like 45 minutes away from a ski resort. Um, if you drive fast. <laughs> um, and it gets up to like 8,000 feet, I think. Uh, so that's oh, wow. Anthony Lakes. Yeah. So it gets really high really quick. Um, I work like right next to there. But uh, as for like outdoor recreation, I kind of stick to sledding. I've gone snowboarding twice, broke my arm, uh, and I've gone <laughs> I've gone skiing twice, and I like broke my whole body. So that's that's always been my hangup because it's in the wintertime. Well, I played basketball and like all the way growing up through high school and middle school and such. So I wasn't going to do like ski club or whatever. And then getting into running, it's running all year. And if you get hurt, if I'm going to get hurt, I'm going to get hurt pounding miles. Okay. I'm not yeah. getting hurt falling down. So that's the whole thing. I just never was able to get dragged out there. I went snowboarding one time. Yeah. Didn't it's, break my wrist, but I, it wasn't fun. It certainly wasn't it fun. Looks, it looks so fun, but I just, the amount of time and money you spend to get good at it. Like, uh, that year I broke my arm was my freshman year of high school. And I had actually been, uh, like medically written to not do activity for a year and a half. Um, so I hadn't done any PE. I hadn't done sports in like a whole year. And I was just like really itching to do something. And then I broke my arm right before track started. And the doctor was like, yeah, you can't, you can't go out and run. You can't do any of this. And I was like, so anxious to go do it, uh, that I just lied to my coach. So when I got to school, I take the sling off. Cause when you get, when you break your humerus, they don't give you a cast. Um, so I just take my sling off and I'd lie to my coach just be like, yeah, super pumped for the season. And then when I get, you know, go back home, I put it back on. Um, so nobody at school even knew I broke my arm. <laughs> you just went to school with a broken arm and just hope people didn't touch it. Yep. Or what? <laughs> and what I had one time I had a guy like pat me really hard on the arm and it was like devastating. But, uh, yeah, I just, I lied to my coach. I lied to like everybody cause I just really wanted to start track season. And my first race, it was still broken. I ran a 1500. <laughs> How'd it go? What'd you run? Do you remember? I, I PR'd, um, but <laughs> that's not saying much because it came from like middle school times. I think I ran like 454 or something. <laughs> that's pretty strong for what, eighth and ninth grade? Uh, that was ninth grade. but Ninth grade. That's a good freshman my time. Eighth, my first eighth grade 15 was a sub five. So it wasn't like a big oh, deal. Oh, 15. That's right. We're talking about 15. Run. Okay. Right, right, right. Yeah. I thought we were, I thought we were talking miles. I was like, it's pretty freaking fast as a freshman with a broken arm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 15 hurt. makes more sense. Yeah. I bet. Um, so yeah, you, you mentioned r- real quick in passing that you were medically told not to do anything active and you had some sort of underlying condition, right? That still kind of sticks with you today. And what, what was that? Like what told, what, why were you told not to do stuff? Yeah. So that was, gosh, that like years and years of like trying to figure out what was going on. Um, basically in eighth grade, uh, bef- well, like in the middle of track season. So this is like spring, um, of my eighth grade year. Um, I started having like really bad fainting spells. And so I'd pass out like on average for like seven, eight times a day, just walk down the hall, hit the ground, forget it happened, get back up, hit the ground again. So, Uh, after a while, like my mom and I were really concerned. And so, uh, she was like, we should probably take you to the doctor for this. And so they checked me out. They were like, nothing crazy. He's got low blood pressure. He's got a low pulse, but we can't really figure out what's going on there. And then 
I had a, the one race I did that 1500, uh, I like collapsed at the end of it and it just like wasn't normal stuff happening. Uh, and then we, you know, thought nothing of it. We're just like, well, you know, it's weird, but he'll grow out of it. And then, uh, during school one day, I just had like this really, really bad bleeding. So I'd never had a nosebleed up to this point. Um, and I just had like a waterfall coming out my nose, coming out my mouth. I like destroyed the bathroom. I feel really bad <laughs> for the janitor <laughs> who had to clean up the mess I left. Um, but I was just like pouring blood uh, out of everything. And so went back to the hospital and they're like, something's wrong. We need to do, uh, we need to look into it more. And so they took me out to Boise and I got an EKG and echocardiogram and they looked at my heart and they were like, your pulse is 28. Like that's extremely low for a 13 year old. Yeah. Um, and so they started looking into like why. Uh, and so they found that in my aortic valve, uh, which is like the, I think the main artery that comes out of the heart when blood leaves. Right. It's like the big uh, one at the top. Yep. Big one at the top. I, uh, I had this like abscessed. So I have, a I have this like a uh, growth. It's not like a tumor or anything. It's like a cyst okay. uh, and it's inside the aorta. And so what it did is the doctors tried to describe it to me, like when you put your thumb over a garden hose, it was doing that to the outflow of my heart. And so every time I did like any kind of activity or my heart was there to be quick, I just have this immense amount of pressure leaving my heart. Because it was getting backed up and it was trying hard to get that blood to your extremities, right? So it would just like crank up the pressure essentially and just... Yeah, so the, the out pressure was extremely high, but the return was like really low. And so it was just messing with my everything. And is, is that why it would be like the slow pulse? Because it would be like it would hammer real hard to get the blood out, but would it take a long time to get the blood to like draw the blood back in? That's the part I've been trying to figure out. Like, I think part of my pulse is just genetic and exercise. Like my grandfather had a pulse of 40 his whole life. Beast. Um, and like a lot of people in my family, just super low heart rate. So I think part of it's just genetic and it's unrelated. Um, but I, I imagine it has something to do with it. I never had to do surgery. I never had to deep dive on it. We just ended up uh, monitoring it for four years um, over in Boise and just looking at my heart, taking pictures. Um, and finally they said that like, I kind of grew, uh, to an extent and the growth kind of shrunk. And so now it's not, I don't pass out anymore. Um, but so you actually did outgrow it. They're like, eh, yeah, it'll pass. I'll grow it. Now. And that, that's I, what happens. Yeah, so I, I, <laughs> um, yeah, the pulse is still the same. The, the blood pressure is the same, but I just don't pass out anymore. So that's good. Um, so yeah, cause sometimes like my heart rate's pretty low as well. I had some, uh, uh a thing in high school. I never had passing out or anything and nothing that was ever, they never found anything or nothing that came back according to like my heart rate that was abnormal, but it was low. Like I went to a physical one time. It was like in the mid to low thirties, they sent me to the hospital to do like the mm -hmm. tests and all the thing where wear around some, some gear for a full day. And they're like, Oh, Oh, you're just like active and fit. And isn't that, but like I, at that point I had only been running for maybe like two years so okay. like, I think there's definitely something that like a genetic piece to this. Cause I have the same thing. Like on my Strava, people are like, Oh my God, your heart rate is like 110 running like, mm -hmm. you know, like seven minute miles or whatever. That's like easy. And, yeah. but I, I'm kind of with you. I think it is a lot of genetics for, to a certain it's extent. Be. 
I like I have a really uh one of my old teammates, he's a pro runner now, and like I'll look at our our data and like, you know, we'll both run an easy run, uh, you know, like 650, seven minute pace, and our heart rates around like 115, 120. But I think that piece is he's just that fit and my heart's just like I was born that way. Because <laughs> when it comes down to like he's a sub four miler, I'm not. <laughs> you know, so Right. But you are also fit. Do you think that the the low heart rate has or just it hasn't seemed to have hurt in your running performance. Do you think it has hurt? Do you think if you had didn't have that abscess or that cyst or whatever you had there messing with the blood pressure that you would be a better runner or worse runner? Uh, definitely not better. Like I, there's no way it isn't helping. Like having a lower heart rate and still being able to like, cause in eighth grade, I could still get up to like 217, 220. Uh, just having that range, I think is 100% an advantage. There's no way it's not. Oh, so your max um, gets really high. It, yeah, it used to. Uh, <laughs> I had a huge, like, uh, I don't know what you'd call it. Like, I, I hardly ever get above 200 anymore. No. Um, yeah. Huh. So, but, the, pranking. but you'd imagine, like, the harder it is to get blood to your muscles, that can't be, like, that helpful, right? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's, like looking at it like RPM on a car, like even though you don't want to go there, the option's nice, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, even though I don't want to be at 210 in my BPM, it'd be nice if I could go there in a race. Um, But then the other side of that looking at it is, you know, do I need to? Like if one, you know, 180 gets me to VO2, do I, do I need to go to 200? So yeah. Yeah. You follow your heart rate in terms because in terms of training because you know your yeah your baseline's screwed up so you'd have to you couldn't go off of typical you know Joel Friel like uh, heart rate training Bible stuff because it would just your yeah. zones would be all <laughs> wacky they would have to be very specific to you and take a lot of testing and can take a lot of type of anecdotal stuff to know exactly where you are do you put much weight behind it do you look at it when you train so I used to never like uh, my training background when I first started running and like all through high school was like your textbook kind of like ignorant runner of the harder I work, the better I get. And that's it. Um, and then I got my degree in biology and I started looking at like the science behind running after I got out of college and like near the end of it. And I was like, Oh, maybe I really should be looking into this like data stuff and like the science behind running. So I kind of have a duality when I look at training and, I don't really put too much weight into anything like heart rate data is nice, but I think it's better to just like look at big picture. I don't think I should like put a hundred percent of my focus into it. And same thing with like effort. Like, yeah, I like effort-based training, but if you only base your runs on how you feel, you're not going to do well end like your end goal. So sometimes you gotta, sometimes you gotta press into things, right? You gotta figure out where that is. And if you're like, ah, this feels about like a nine out of 10, but like the, you could be leaving, you know, 10, 15 seconds, like per mile out there or whatever, just running so hard. Out. That's the hardest part with training is like how much, yeah. How much is it technical and how much does it feel? And, you know, like balancing that every day. And then you could, you could drive yourself crazy with like spreadsheets looking at your own data. <laughs> I know even like things like the power meter. Have you come across one of those, like the stride thing, the stride power meter pods or anything? Have you ever, yeah, tra- have you ever tried those it. out? I haven't tried them. No. Me neither. I think I would, if someone came to me as an athlete and wanted me to coach them using the stride power meter, I think I would try to steer them away from it. It's just too like much nuts and bolts, right? Like, oh, if I can get my power to here, I think it'd be a nice Mm -hmm. tool, 
but then it kind of gets back to like what you're saying. Like it, it can't be all one thing. And that, that to me ends up being more like kind of like a cyclist or a triathlete who has a power and meter, you know, you take the human out of it. Like, I don't know, to me, mm-hmm. some sports you need to be more, you know, data focused, like cycling is kind of like that. Uh, they've, the bike is so much more important than the person in the beginning. And then you train the person, you know, but like they're working together that way with running. It's like, it's you. And so if you look too much into like, Oh, my heart rate needs to be this. My stride needs to be this. The cadence needs to be this. You, you forget the whole reason you're doing it. And that's just to like compete. At least that's what most runners do is you go out there to race people. It's not like focusing on the distance between your toe and heel. Right. Or yeah, a lot of times the athletes who I talk to, they're like, oh, well, I want to get the most out of what I can do. I want to find my true potential, right? And, and mm-hmm. maybe you can help yourself find that true potential by the use of data and turning those knobs a little bit more. But really, like, what is that telling you? Like, you want to push yourself to the, to the limit. And that's ultimately going to have to be something you're going to have to, like, assert your own will on rather than For just, sure. like, getting your metrics to, like, this yeah. certain piece. Um, and yeah, like cycling, it's like a tool, right? Like they all kind of work the same. Every human kind of works differently. I wonder mm-hmm. if there's going to be something where it can kind of take all of those things, take like your stride length, your power, your heart rate, and like how well you work off of carbohydrates versus fats and like where that threshold is and just be able to tell you all the different pieces. Because right now the stride, stride pod, it just seems like everyone's stride's so different. Yeah, people are too different. That's I think that's what it comes down to. It's like trying to do that with running would be like, trying to compare like chess to wrestling. Like, you know, both these pieces have moves. If they do this, you should respond with this move, but that's not how wrestling works. Like that's not, you know, it's not this just like back and forth alternating turn. It's very dynamic. It's, you know, so much more than just knowing these and learning these moves and executing them. So with running, I don't think it's like, oh, if I get my power here and I get my heart right here, I'm gonna PR and run this and whatever race I'm doing. Right. And I think that's like what the cyclist do. It's like, if I could just get it here, this will be the result. But there is always going to be that, that element uh, in in running that is just going to be, I feel like so much more of a mental part of like leaning into how it's feeling or just really accepting where to push where I think Mm -hmm. where like the power or your metrics are going to be off. And even the heart rate, like when I use heart rate, I, I really think, I don't think it's that accurate. To, to be honest. And then the only way I kind of do it is to keep myself honest. Like if I'm feeling not great and my heart rate says like, Oh, it's pretty low. It's like, Oh, well, I guess I'm just kind of being a wuss right now. Like let's mm-hmm. stop doing that. Um, yeah. And even that can be dangerous. Cause then if you're right and your watch is wrong, then now you're, tra- you're overtraining. So, right. <laughs> right. Um, and I found that'd be helpful at least for, for OCR at least where it's like, am I tired? Am I tired? because this bucket is heavy or because uh like i'm actually exerting myself too much like it's, and that's mm-hmm. i think it's a little helpful there but i've broken my my garmin watch a couple of times which which isn't great um <laughs> so anyway so through middle school like you it was like all right i'm running went into freshman year you, you were into running so much that you ran with a broken arm and you were mm-hmm. willing to just do that um yeah. did you like yeah duh. did you come up as a runner like so you were running in like middle school and, and coming up through or have you always been a runner has it been your background or did you play like any other sports as a kid so that yeah no I was terrible like you name the sport I did it and I was bad at it um uh, <laughs> I did baseball for a few years and I was super freaking bad uh <laughs> the kids on my team would call me McDonald's just because my glove was so small it looked like a McDonald's toy <laughs> 
Um, and I just had really tiny hands, so I wasn't good at sports. I got cut for my sixth grade basketball team. I uh, didn't even make make the team sixth grade. I'm pretty sure you just have to be a kid and you make the team. So I don't know what I did wrong there. Um, I played I played soccer. I was terrible. I played uh, I played football for two years really bad receiver. I think I had one ball overthrown like 20 yards over my head. And that was my one play. <laughs> um, so I was just really bad at sports. So I was like, okay, running, I can do running. Um, and so I, I don't know if I'd say I was always a runner. Um, I liked to race kids on the playground. I was like, Hey, you want to race? And at that time I thought I was a sprinter and I thought I was like, Oh, I'm so good at the, you know, the 200, the 400. Uh, really I was just the only kid into it. There was like, you know, handfuls of kids that were just way faster and didn't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then I found out, I think the moment I found out that I could actually be decent at running was in middle school. Like seventh grade is the first uh, grade they let people race in my town. It's pretty small. So mm-hmm. they don't have sixth grade track. They do now, but they didn't when I was a kid. Uh, and in seventh grade, I ran the 800 and like no one wants to do it because it sucks. And, it's like, you know, and that's, no what... <laughs> when you first start running, it's pretty long. It's Even a like a 400 as like a kid, like I remember in fifth grade, I ran a 400 at this like uh, track meet we had at school and it felt so long. It is so, long. Yeah, <laughs> it is still long, it's, but 800. It's the longest sprint in track and field. It's, it's a disaster. <laughs> um, but the 800 is a very hard event. And, and so you went into it, you're like, all right, I'm doing this. Well, at the time I was like, wow, I'm really good at this. And then later I found it's like, wow, I'm the only kid who wanted to actually put in effort for that long because you know when you're in seventh grade it's like a two and a half minute race yeah that's that's a long time to be working hard as a little kid and um so I started seeing success in like the 800 and the 15 I I started running the mile you know in school and I would just you know I'd lap kids in the mile and so I felt really good about it I was like oh I, I could probably be successful in this and so all my attention at that point kind of like focused in on running because it was like the first time I had found success in a sport after failing in like seven or eight of them uh oh i wrestled too and i'm pretty sure my seventh grade year i didn't win a match mm. yep and we did like a lot not <laughs> like not 25 o- or so not always pinned sometimes pinned you know the worst wrestling match i ever had i wasn't pinned i was teched Tech by a fault. kid who mm. was he was 20 pounds lighter than me he was like gunning to be a state champion i think he ended up winning state um, and so he moved up in his weight class, to, you know, actually have a challenge, but you know, jokes on him. Cause I was really <laughs> bad. Uh, and the, <laughs> the beginning of the match, he just picks me up and drops me on my back, gets his two points for the takedown and then lets me lets up. You get up. Oh, no. And so that's a one point differential to tech me. He needs 10 points. So he slammed me on the mat 10 times in a row. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, he's just getting practice. And no, oh, and it was ten because I think in high school, at least over here, it's fifteen. So, that's... yeah, it's it's ten in Oregon, at least for middle school. For middle school, probably. And, yeah, uh, kids yeah. getting beat up that bad. You don't you don't need to prolong it any any further. Yeah, I did better in eighth grade, but that that I remember that match. It it's pretty bad. <laughs> um, but in running, you you found success at it. And what was it that you thought? What, you did you have any thoughts behind why you were good at it? Or were you just like, oh, cool, cool, I'm fast. Or cool, like, I have good endurance. You know, I think it was a combination of, like, like we're going back to genetics. Like, there was, I definitely was, like, predisposed to just having an easier time than other kids. Because I wasn't tired running around the track. That wasn't hard. Um, and I didn't have to work hard to do it. Like, middle school, looking back, like, I thought I was, like, you know, really tough. I just wasn't really working that hard. And it was easier for me. Yeah. 
uh, I found out in high school that I couldn't like coast on that anymore. Uh, and really like the problem for me is I come from a pretty small town. Like even though we were 4A Oregon, uh, my town's like got 10,000 people in it, 13,000 people. So you can be really good here and then you go to the state meet and you just get crushed. Mm-hmm. So I would, my regular season meets, you know, I'd win like nine races in a row and then I'd show up where there were real runners, like really good, you know, from like Portland area or Boise or these bigger towns and I just get smashed. So I felt like a really good runner in high school, which was good because it kind of like furthered my development, which is really good. You know, you need to have successes even if you're not the best. Um, but getting into college, it was a huge wake up call. I was like, wow, like <laughs> the kids who were winning state against me are not even contenders right now at a national meet. So true. But in terms of the high school, yeah, like coming from, my, I share a similar, similar experience. Like the area I grew up in together was relatively big, but not in terms of like the other districts in the, in the state. So it was yeah, definitely like big fish, small pond to get to the bigger level. And it's like, okay, like this is mm-hmm. legit. Like where their regional meets, they'd be running crazy times. And then when we have to get there, it'd be like the only meet where we went against like real competition, but you still did well in terms of state wide, right? Yeah. After I, I'd say my, well, my freshman year, I got crushed. It was bad. And in fact, in the state meet, a bird pooped on me. <laughs> yep. Like hit me on the last lap. I've heard, I've heard that that is supposed to be good luck, but I, I don't, I, it seems like really bad luck to me. I don't see how that could be construed as good luck in any last. way i don't think it was good luck not it that was, day like, just the stamp on the day like hey how can we make this worse and that <laughs> precision you know <laughs> but last in a state meet in, as a freshman though yeah as a freshman so i wasn't even supposed to go you went um, yeah, I had, going I had to the state meet in as a freshman even just qualifying through it is still like really oh good. yeah looking back i'm really happy i did it just because the experience of going there and especially because in oregon you go to hayward field which is like a big oh, no deal way for high schoolers you know uh <laughs> It's like a, you know, a world-class facility now. And even then it was like going to the Roman Coliseum. It was so cool. Um, and so even getting to go there as a freshman, like really sparked my, my will to get better my sophomore year. And so that was always like the icing on the cake. Like, Hey, if you go to state, you go to Hayward. And, uh, yeah. So I just, I would always think about that in my training. Like, I really want to go back to Eugene. Eugene's so cool. There's such a cool running culture there. Uh, at the time, I was like, I really want to go to college there. And then later, like, I <laughs> realized I don't want to go to college there. But, um, yeah, I mean, that was a huge incentive. I think it just rolls back into that. That whole time I was in high school, having those, like, little successes, even if they weren't a big deal uh, to the, you know, an outside perspective, they were really fundamental in, like, developing me as a runner. So sometimes I think about this in terms of my own development and how some people are driven. And I feel when I start, when I do well, I am motivated to continue to do well where others are, you know, are motivated off of their failure or like they see where they need to go and where they are currently and they strive to get there. Mm -hmm. Um, And did you think about that in any way or was it more just like the experience of moving like, getting to go against the best competition or like what kept you driven? Cause it sounds like you were doing well, like through in like your area, like almost mm-hmm. right away. Right. Yeah. Right. Right off the bat. I was the fastest kid on our team day one as a yeah. freshman. So <laughs> right. it wasn't like I had any internal problems. It was just like, Oh, well I'm faster than everybody on this team. So unfortunately that never changed in high school, which, you know, 
kind of, it was harder for training, but like, yeah, motivation wise, it's tough. Like, I think my motivations have like, I keep saying developed, but they've, they've really like changed as I've grown up. Um, So when I was a little kid, like my motivation was just like, I want to win because like gold medal, you know, blue ribbon, I just want to be the best. Yeah. Um, and then in high school, you know, yeah, I had these incentives of like, oh, like positive reinforcement. If you go to state, you're a cool, you're a cool kid. You know, you're a varsity athlete, you're, you're successful. And like, you know, you get to travel places because where I went to high school, like I didn't travel, I didn't go on vacation. So the only way I was going to leave my hometown was if I made it to these big meets. So that was like, so fun to see, you know, coming from a really like rural community, going to like Portland and going to Eugene, it was, it was just so fun. So those are my motivators. And then as I got older, I'd say like 17 years old, that didn't do it for me anymore. Cause I'd done it right. Like mm. I'd been to these meets, I'd experienced more and it started to like turn to this. I want to win because I don't want to lose. Mm. And the motivation to just like be better than people for the sake of competition. Um, Like if you're going to be pouring hours of work every day into a sport, why would you let someone who isn't doing that beat you? And, and that was a huge, like, you know, log in my fire for a long time. Like that stoked my flames for years. Just like, I don't want to lose to people who don't care about this sport as much as I do. Mm. So you felt you care. You felt like you cared more. So you're like, it's like, how could no, no, how could anyone care as much as I do? And like, (laughs) how could they possibly, and if, if that's the case, like they can't beat me, like that's not, Mm. that's not how it's going to work. And yeah. How did that serve you? Did you think that was good or bad or what? It, It was good for a while. Like you can only get so far with that, like mentality of like, you know, like this sports for me and like, I, I deserve to win cause I worked harder. Like it's a very, <laughs> it's a very narrow mind of thinking, but at the time it worked for me. Um, my senior year, it didn't because basically I didn't train enough to back up that mentality. Like if you're going to have the mentality of like, I want to be the best in this sport and nobody's going to beat me cause I work harder. You have to work harder. You have to work harder. Yeah. And, and in high school I was like, I spread myself way too thin. Uh, my senior year, I got hurt. I tried to make it up like way too quickly. Um, So that mentality was like out the window because it's like, now I'm not doing the work I need. So by the time track season came, I just felt like I didn't have a a purpose to run quick, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. It was like, well, go on. I was just like, yeah, well, like the training's not there. So like now this whole mantra I had is kind of out the window. Like, you know, I didn't, I didn't work as hard as I could. I didn't run over the summer. I didn't run over the winter cause I was hurt. So yeah, that, that whole, you know, intrinsic motivation was kind of dropped because I didn't have, you know, the source of it to begin with. Right. And that's, what's dangerous about that, that type of motivation, right? Cause it could, mm-hmm. it can be fleeting. It could leave you in that one instance or someone might be working harder than you. Right. And like, that, yeah, that's not always going to, and, and, and they potentially were. And as a high school kid, you don't know, you don't know what other people are doing. You don't even know what it means to, to work hard or to mm-hmm. work too hard or to what, it, what it means to like do well and put your all into everything. Yeah. Um, but then you kept running at the next level. Right. So like how, okay. how did that, did your mindset stay the same while working in, uh, into a collegiate program? So I, I lucked out like, 
won the lottery when it came to the running program I got to. Um, so basically what happened at the end of high school is I got hurt and the injury was, it was in my knee and it was so bad that at the district meet, I couldn't even finish the three K. It was just, Nope, can't do it. I, I walked like the last lap and uh. I think I got like third, which sounds like good, but not good. <laughs> and then I didn't even compete the next day. So I didn't go to state, which was like a huge bummer uh, because it was like, you know, kids really prop up their senior years, like the year. Um, yeah. So I ended my high school, you know, entire running career kind of just like with a dud, like, you know, just it ended, I got hurt. I didn't, I wasn't successful. I did terrible in cross country that year. So I kind of just had a whole year of bad running, bad training. So I took the entire summer off. I couldn't run. I took, you know, April, May, June, July. Um, and like the first few weeks of August, I did not run and collegiate training, uh, starts mid August. And so I signed with Eastern Oregon, uh, university. And when I got there, uh, I didn't really know what to expect because I have never had a team of people who were faster. Mm -hmm. Um, but like I said, I lucked out a ton because all the guys at Eastern at the time, like my entire team were so much more talented than an NAIA program. Uh, so Eastern Oregon's not NCAA there. They're NAIA, which most people would put in between like D3, D2. It's Sometimes. It's I, I mean, the, the, the competitors at the highest level of NAIA are... It's weird. Like the high between, level NAIA could be D1. Could, um, could do well in D1 for sure. Yeah, and they the, could. The and difference then, and is... They, they move to it. <laughs> right. The, well, the, isn't there some sort of regulation, like regulatory process that is not the same in mm -hmm. NCA and NAIA? What exactly diff is different between the, the So the, the cool thing about the NAIA is that when it first formed, the reason it formed is because it allowed black people to compete, oh which is God. really cool. So way back yeah. when it's like, they were like, yeah, we'll do that. Um, so I like that I was on that side of it. Um, yeah. But then fast forward now, both, you know, both the NCAA and the NAI do that. The difference is actually just the eligibility to compete. So the NAI has way looser restrictions on um, where you were before. So if you transfer, the NAI is way easier on you. If you're from a different country, if you had pro status in a different country before you came, your age. So like sometimes you'll be running against like 30-year-old men yeah. in the NAI. And like they ran, you know, competitively in like, some mountain running team in Europe and you're like sick. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and they're, they're coming to the States for education purposes at that point and they still want to compete at a high level. Like, yeah. They're, they're coming, <laughs> they're coming to the States. They still want to compete. They want I don't know if they want to get a degree, like whatever they're doing. Um, but they're fast. And like yeah. to give you an example of like just how, how you can break that system in my conference, not even like the national meet in my conference, uh, we had three guys who were sub 150 in the 800. Right. And they were just, yeah, like that's just how it was. And there was a, there was a guy we had in our conference for a while, sub four miler. I think he ran like 356 in the mile. Um, you know, 148, 149, 800, super quick guy. And he didn't even win a conference title until his senior year. Right. And he was like, that quick to begin with. And it's just like, it's ridiculous, you know? So that's winning pretty much every D2 conference absolutely every d3 conference so like yeah i would yes. kind of put it above at d2 probably above d2 mm -hmm. and just like because the depth between nai and d1 is it's not yes. there 
but the competition at the top is like really, really strong. Yeah. So there's, there's not a whole lot of depth, but what was funny was on my team in LaGrande, Oregon, because so where I live is where the college is at and I still mm-hmm. live here. Um, my team just was flooded with this immense amount of talent, uh, like very, very sturdy blossoming runners who, you know, probably were not in AI caliber, um, but just from their backgrounds decided to all go to Eastern on different independent reasons. Uh, and so when I got there, I basically didn't know it at the time, but I just had a bunch of incredible athletes who were going to be my team. Um, and so I just started running. I wasn't that good right off the bat, but I was really excited to get back into it because I wasn't injured anymore. And that fall, um, I worked my way from like 12th on the team to fourth on the team. And 100% of that success like goes to my coach and my teammates. Um, it was like the first time I trained correctly. Um, and yeah, they were just like super supportive. They, they liked running for the culture. They weren't doing it just because it was a competition. And so, and I think that's where my mindset's at today. Uh, when we're like going back to motivation is like, I like, I like running because competing is fun now. It's like a lifestyle for me. Um, because I just want to see how well I can do, you know? Um, it's not about beating other people. I love to beat people. I hate losing, but it's not my primary motivation anymore. And when you have that mindset of like seeing what you're capable of, like it doesn't necessarily matter if you're competing at the highest level or like in the middle or at the end, because like the ultimate goal is still there. And if you're trying and if you're competing at your highest level and pushing yourself through training and and those race days, like if you win, that's a great byproduct. But -hmm. if you get 70th, it's the same type of like, you could still accomplish your goal. Yeah, definitely. So being able to, to have that, and that's, that's really, that is really fortunate that your college team had that and you were able to kind of learn that through the college process. Cause like in my experience, like, you know, the, the kids I went to school with, I would say, you know, out of like 25 kids on the team, there's probably three or four who still like run, you know, mm-hmm. like it just people go and, because they are good or they are talented and they do it as a means to an end to get a degree or just to, you know, just because it's something that they always done, but never really loved it. Um, so it sounds like when you were in school, it really kind of solidified that like, Oh, I actually love doing this. Yeah. And I loved it. Not just for the sport. Cause everybody knows running sucks. Like at its core training for running is very hard and <laughs> yeah. it hurts. when it's and over. It's the best part. Yeah. It's a huge commitment. And yeah, most people, if you ask them like, what's the best part of the race, they say the finish. That's not like, that's not yeah. a good selling point. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what, that was what solidified it for me was the people who like shared that interest. And so I really like, like you said, fell in love with running when I found people who, you know, made it more than that. Like I loved getting up in the morning to go to practice because I got to be around these people who were just excited to go and do it. Um, like six or seven of those guys ran post collegiately nice. and we only had a team of like 15. So, you know, it was, they were legit and it just like was so refreshing to be on a 15, 16 mile long run and just have these guys just like joking, joking around, having a good time, running backwards, laughing, like, I'd never experienced that because in high school, if you said 60 mile long run, I would have had to like mentally prep for a week. I would have had to like change my diet and listen to music, get pumped up. And like, it was just like taking a nap, you know, hanging out with your friends. Yep. Like that is when it's really great when you're just like have a bunch of 
Good training partners and training turns into just hanging out with your friends. It is. Yeah. That's, that's the one thing I miss now that I, now that they've all moved and I live here alone pretty much. There's nobody like the college team still trains here, but COVID I can't like run with them. So it's, it's solo training now, (laughs) which makes even that much more important that you did, you were able to find that enjoyment in running and the parts that are more intrinsic than extrinsic, like because now you're solo. So it's not a matter of like having the, the team to, to drag you out or yeah. um, needing to have some sort of race results to kind of pull you through. Uh, and in college you did, you did pretty well, right? You ended up getting all American honors in cross mm-hmm. and, in, uh, and in outdoor. twice and cross twice and track. I like, I think I did just about as well as I could have done. Um, I could have, like, I could have swapped a few years. I could have redshirted differently and maybe gotten like two more. Um, but like, I don't think I was the caliber of runner to win a national title. Um, the, the time that I got second, when I got runner up in the steeplechase, like the dude who was in it, John Gay, he's a Canadian steeplechaser. He's an amazing runner. Um, like he was, he's a different class of athlete. Um, hmm. you know, he's running, he's running like eight thirty steeplechases. He's, you know, a sub four miler. So I never, I never felt bad about like not winning a title, even though my wife did <laughs> uh, the same day. It was pretty funny actually. In, um, in the steeple? In the steeple. Yeah. She won the steeple our senior years. She actually won it like right before I went on. It was a crazy race uh, just because of the weather, uh, not because of the race itself, but yeah, she always brings that back up that, uh, you know, I was the runner up and she was the winner. It's <laughs> <is> true. <laughs> were, you, were you guys dating at the time? Yeah, we've we've been together for a long time. We got together uh, summer going into uh, my sophomore year of college, so we've been together for a really long time. Nice. Uh, we're married now, um, but yeah, we we same team, you know. Um, and her brother is actually so my brother in law was one of those guys who's just like super legit runner. One of the reasons uh, that I still enjoy running today is just like, you know, a lot of stuff he taught me, and it's just like fun to run with him. So. That's really cool. Was was there competition between the two of you just like other than friendly? Like, did it, was it inspiring to see her do well and did it help her to see you do well? Or was it uh, like, how did did that help at all in any way? You know, in a way, like I think for her, yeah. Like my wife is super tough. Um, One of the hardest racers I think I've ever seen. Like when she went into a meet, I don't think I've ever seen her give up. Mm as a runner, which like, I always really admired that. And I wanted to be that kind of runner because like, when you see that you're like, wow, like there's no, she'll, she'd have bad races, but it wasn't because of effort. It was like something else. Injury could be preparation, bad day, but I never saw like, uh, eh, I'm not, I, I'm hurting. So I'm just going to slow down. That did not happen for her. So I didn't need to be that kind of motivator in her races. It was more of me just like kind of looking at the, you know, looking at the splits and like seeing how she's doing and like tracking that kind of stuff. So it was inspiring to see somebody be that like rock solid. Um, And that's why she was so successful. Like she has, you know, good genetics too, but just tough, like, her whole family is super tough people. Um, That's like me. (laughs) She'd see me run and she was really hard on me because, you know, I wasn't the same way. So she knew that I had, you know, talent in it, but you know, when things got hard for me, there are some races where like, to be honest, I did not put out as much as I could have. And so just like knowing that she was going to be on me every time I did that, 
that was that was a big motivator. Um, but there was never like a competition, like oh, I need to do better than her. She needed right. better than me. If anything, uh, it worked out so well because we lived together for so long. Like our our lives were in sync. Like oh, we both race this. We both race tomorrow. We're gonna eat this meal. We're gonna do this. So having a training partner that you were also like in a relationship with really it like really concreted the lifestyle of running. Cause even not only was it like my training and like my own personal stuff, my own like relationship with another human was working towards the same goal of being the best runner possible. And you see runners who are at the highest level who are, are married couples. And it makes sense for that, from that respect, right? There's no competition between, you know, what you're going to, what you're going to do on the weekends or, you know, there's no animosity toward like, racing too often or whatever if like you're aligned that way it just has to make it way more simple oh yeah it's because you both you know if you both really care about it the same way it's like there's no questions on what needs to be done you just just go do it you know like yeah like oh well i'm gonna be at a meet this weekend so are you we're both gonna get up at the same time and go to it so it's like yeah why are we even talking about this if we we know what's what's happening Mm -hmm. yeah and having someone remember the dates and like times for things is nice. Cause it's hard to like juggle <laughs> all that stuff, but she's super organized. So <laughs> seems, seems to, seems to work out well. And I want to double back about uh, some of those things um, on the personal side for you in a little bit, but uh, we're kind of on this linear path in terms of like where you are. So college went pretty well, two time all American, four time all American. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so then why, what, what got you in OCR? Yeah. Um, basically, you can only run the same way for so long before it gets old. And like, thankfully for me, my last race of college, I was like, yep, that's it. I'm good. And I really thought at that time that I was done competing and running. I was like, I want to find something else. I've been competitive for five years and it has taken a pretty big toll. Um, But like, you know, a few months after that, after not running, I just felt so terrible and lazy. I was like, I got to get back into it, but I cannot train for track. Like I tried that a few times and I'd run for like two months and then I wouldn't run. And like, I just didn't have motivation to be good at track anymore. It, my love for track and field was at its peak in college. And Mm. it's, you know, it's a great sport, but it's just, you have to put in everything to be good at it. So I wanted to run and I wanted to compete, but I just didn't want to do track and field. And I was like, what else could I do? Like one of my teammates, started doing trail running, but that kind of feels like the same thing in terms of like how hard you got to work for it. And it, it wasn't that much different. And I had kind of been eyeing Spartan races since high school. Um, I just never did one. So like early, early on, like, you know, 15 years old, I was like, those look so cool. I want to try this off school course. Like it's a playground for adults. Um, and then with college gone, I was like, I have no excuse to not go out and just try this. So I did it for fun. It was not to be competitive. Like I took it huh. seriously, but I was just like, how hard can these things be? Like I look at these, you know, I look at the people on the posters and it's like, I know I'm faster than most of these people. And so I signed up for one of the U S national series races. Cause I really didn't know the difference. And I was like, yeah, I'll just, I'll just jump in one of the big ones. Let's see. Let's see how bad it can be. You knew it was going to be a big one, but like you knew it was, which one was it? Which race was it? Seattle, the yeah. Seattle national series. Um, that what was year? 20, is that 2018 or 19? 2018. I remember 2018. Yeah. 18, 18. And so I, yeah, I just, I was like, yeah, I'll just sign up for this one. Like it can't, I can't be that crazy. And then I got there and I realized how big the venues were, um, which made me extremely nervous because I thought it was going to be like this, just like pretty low key, maybe 
a few hundred people. <laughs> like, a, like a road race, <laughs> like a turkey trot yeah, type like, of thing. Exactly, like a bigger road race, like a turkey trot. And yeah. then I saw these like hordes of people and I was like, oh man, like this is a bigger deal than I gave it credit for. There might be a couple good athletes here. <laughs> and there were a lot of good athletes there. And yeah. it, like the weather, def- like Seattle's my favorite venue, but the weather that day made it like my least favorite place on earth. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was two This was two years ago then, right? Not last year? Or was it last year? I'm trying to think. Was like, it where I was there? Yeah, it would have been that. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah, 2019 then. Okay, yeah, so I didn't race in 2018. So that was okay. my first so race. So that was your was, first race with Seattle U.S. National Series. Yep, Seattle U.S. National Series um, was my first Spartan race. And I went in knowing nothing. Like, I tried to research a little bit. I was like, okay, there's going to be, like, monkey bars. That's going to be a piece of cake. Didn't – I failed them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, um, I failed a lot of obstacles that day. I was – I didn't realize how hard things are when it's wet. Yeah, um, it, was cold, it was cold, too. Yeah. It was a cold day. I just didn't, I didn't prepare. Like I went into that, uh, way, way underprepared. I was probably doing like 30 mile weeks at most, maybe 20. Uh, I was in the gym like twice a week, not really working hard. I did nothing for my grip. I did no technical training. And I just went in thinking that like, Oh, if I'm a college athlete, I'm going to be better than everybody here. Um, not really realize like I didn't, research the people i don't know what i know now about it and so yeah i went in and i just got my ass kicked like thoroughly uh where'd you end end up i think i finished 18th but which isn't bad in a u.s national series race but hold on because that's not what they placed me at um i was the 18th person to cross the finish line apparently five of my burpees were not up to code and i didn't even know what the appeal process was at the time uh, looking back, I call complete BS on that. Like I was doing full burpees. I didn't even know you could do the like fake, just get your hands above your ears, a little hop. I was doing push up, squ- jump squat high as I could go. And I failed three obstacles. So I did 90 of those. Yeah. Uh, and then they were, they added on like, what, that's two and a half minutes, 30 seconds of burpee. So I got two and a half minutes added on to my time and I ended up like 23rd, 4th. Yeah, yeah, that's that's literally the same thing happened. I crossed the line twelfth. I also did ninety burpees that day. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I ended up seventeenth because they hit me with burpee penalties as well. But it was so cold and awful that day. I was like, oh, we yeah. need to get out of here because I I don't want to. I'm not sticking around to a, a book. I didn't even know until like the next day. I was like, I'm, I finished seventeenth. How the heck? Um, yeah. What did you fail? Monkey Built bars. Monkey bars. I failed the beater, which is like the worst monkey bars, the yeah, spinning yeah. ones. Uh, and then I failed the, oh, it wasn't the spear. I hit the spear. I was really happy about hitting the spear. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. you, know, you remember that section? It was like Z-wall, Z-wall into spear. Atlas, or was it spear? Yeah. So Z-wall. Spear, Atlas. Spear, Atlas tire or something like that. Or tire. Like tire all Atlas. That think, right yeah. in there. Um, I passed all those obstacles luck luckily like all luck um and i saw some of these like better athletes you must have been a good them. you must have been in a good spot there i missed z-wall I was, probably passed me on z-wall yeah i was top 10 i was yeah. like oh yeah like i am good at this and then you know, <laughs> that was like the first mile or so so it wasn't yeah, yeah. actually I, yeah a lot of people caught me but uh yeah so i failed the beater i failed the oh i failed the multi-rig right at the end yeah mm-hmm. yeah same but by that point everything was spent 
just like it didn't matter super cold burpees yeah whatever um but overall like, i mean not not bad like crossing line 18th even finished 25th in your first ever uh spartan race that's a u.s national series race now i'm still early in the series yeah and that was a third race so there's still a lot of good athletes showing up to that point i think oh yeah yeah i think woods did i think woods dropped out and i think uh, Killian wasn't there, and maybe a couple Killian of wasn't there. A couple of athletes there were still, show. yeah, like Ryan was, Atkins, uh, Ryan Kent, yeah, uh, VJ Jones. Like p- people were there, definitely. Um, so yeah, and that's funny because that's actually the first time I heard about Nick Riker um, was in that race, and so I saw where he was at, and I was like, oh, I keep hearing this name, and like I looked him up, I was like, oh, I think he got seventh that day, and I was like, that's a big performance, like way to go for that guy, and I think it like happened for me because his name was also nick so i was like okay i'm not even the best nick <laughs> um i was like thank god my name's not ryan but i'm not even the best nick <laughs> so um i later on down the road i ended up finding uh one of our mutual friends like a guy who lived in illinois who went to eastern he was a transfer uh oh. at my college he knew nick Riker, and after my spartan race we were talking about it because we were friends uh and he lived near me and he was like, yeah, do you know Nick Riker? Like, I went to school with him. I was like, you know Nick Riker? Like, no way. And so he got us in touch. And so I started talking to Nick. And that was like my first first time talking to somebody who knew anything about OCR, mm-hmm. um, which was like huge luck, like lottery ticket for me. Because if I didn't talk to Nick at all, like it would have been way harder for me to penetrate into Spartan racing and OCR because I just didn't know anybody. And, and that's kind of how it is. Like, if you don't know anyone you're kind of trained by yourself and then you're kind mm. of, you're kind of just guessing a lot, you know, even, yeah. even like training, you, you kind of, you're still guessing a little bit, but if I you're solo, like I'm guessing. right, exactly. <laughs> and like, when, especially when you're solo, it's like, okay, that didn't go well because I didn't do my monkey bars well. So do I just need to do monkey bars a lot or yeah, do I just do two hours of monkey bars a day? <laughs> right. Or is it like, do I need to do it while I'm tired? Like, how do I get there? Like what, what's happening? And, mm-hmm. and, Nick Reichert's a great one to connect with first because he's kind of a connector in in his way. Like he likes to he likes to talk about people, meet new people. So that, yeah, that was that was pretty fortunate. And, and oh, I so yeah, lucky. I didn't know that was the case. I didn't know how you and and Nick knew each other. But that, we both that, knew a guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> usually knew a person. And then so later in that later last year, you ended up winning at the Seattle Beast, right? Yeah. So. I went back to it and I was pretty nervous because of how awful my first experience of Seattle was, but I felt better about it because I was like, I, I think that was after West Virginia, right? It was. I think so. Yeah. It had to have been cause Tahoe was like two weeks later. Mm. So I went to West Virginia, you know, again, ass kicked, like all the Spartan races at this point, I've just been getting beat. And in my eyes, I've been getting beat by people who shouldn't be beating me, but I just don't know enough about it. And so real, I went real to Seattle, quick. What, what, in your second Spartan race coming from the Northwest, what, why did you come to West Virginia? Like what made you oh, decide to I, do that? I, so I went to Boise. So I went, I went, uh, okay. Seattle. Then I went to Boise and I got fourth, the best okay. place. Um, and sh- like, I don't want to say I should have won that race because that takes away from the people who beat you, who did, you know, beat you and they were better that day. Um, but I, I would say now if, if this, this me, currently right now went back to that Boise venue. I should have ran it so differently. It would have been minutes yeah. different. Um, but then I did Boise and then I was scheduled for Portland and I couldn't go to Portland for personal reasons. Um, and so I was supposed to get like three races before West Virginia. And 
Portland ended up happening, but I was like, I really feel like I'm good enough to go to West Virginia. And even if I'm not, I've never been to the East coast as a like sentient adult. I went like when I was a really little kid. Um, I've never been to West Virginia. I don't really have an excuse to go. Uh, so my, my kind of philosophy with things is like, if you're on the edge of like deciding if you want to do something or not, and you really can't decide, just do it. Like Hmm. if it's an experience or if it's like going to build your character, if it's like out of your comfort zone, just do it. And so I just bought the plane ticket and I was like, you know, I'm going to go. I'm going to do it. Uh, it's going to be new for me. And it wasn't so much because I was like, I'm going to win, you know, the U S national race or whatever. It was just like, I just want to, I just want to do it. Um, and it was really hard and it was way harder than all the other ones for terrain and obstacles. There were obstacles I'd never seen. I didn't realize like how brutal it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the terrain, and, the, the East coast terrain is pretty nasty. West Virginia yeah. too is like, and the swim, like the swim was so long. Swim, I didn't dude. know a swim was an obstacle. <laughs> <laughs> the freaking swim. So yeah, I mean, that race was terrible. Like I learned, I learned everything not to do in a Spartan race all at once. So even though I did terrible, like the lessons I could, I took a notebook with me and I filled like pages of all the things that I could have done better. Hmm. Uh, and looking back on it, like I just didn't make those mistakes the next time I did a Spartan race. So I went to Seattle with like, no expectation. And I was kind of hoping that no one would show up because Tahoe is so close mm-hmm. that all the really good guys would be not racing because, you know, you don't want to race hard before the worlds. Um, that's, that's, so, uh, that's your track background speaking. That's not OCR. <laughs> that's not yeah. OCR mentality. Sorry, there's, no, a ra- yeah. there's a race. My, I'm doing it. I'm doing Saturday like, and well, Sunday. race. There's a race two weeks. There's, it makes sense. No to compete. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, they, they did want to, but it wasn't like flooded. Right. So right. I found out Josh Fry was going to do it. And I was like, cool. I've been near him. Like he's, I know he's solid. So he'll be fun to race. And then someone told me Aaron Newell is going to do, I think Nick told me Aaron Newell was going to run. And I was like, oh, cool. Okay. So I'm not winning like that solidified in my head. Like I race this guy in West Virginia and he's really fast. So yeah, I think he was fourth in West Virginia. Yeah. And I really shouldn't yeah. have like done that to myself, but I, I mentally like checked him off as the winner. Um, so I didn't have any expectation going into Seattle at all. <laughs> um, but then it turned out it was the beast distance and you ended up beating both those guys and, and Josh Fry and Aaron Newell, they're both part of the Spartan pro team. And Aaron two weeks later got, got fourth at Tahoe. Yeah. And so like, if you were to ask me like, whenever I answer that question, like what's your biggest OCR accomplishment? I hate saying that my biggest OCR accomplishment is beating Aaron Newell because like for so many reasons, like one, that was one day. And if like right. it were reversed and like someone's like, Oh, my biggest OCR, you know, whatever was beating Nick mask. I'd be pissed. It'd be like, okay, dude, like race me right now. I'd be really mad about it. Uh, and you know, it's one day you get one snapshot of their entire OCR career. So like, yes, I beat Aaron Newell on that day Mm -hmm. but a lot of things happened to allow me to beat him on that day like we were on very different training wavelengths i was tapering off of like you know some running he was ramping up for one of the biggest races of his life and like i i hit the spear he missed the spear uh he had no idea who i was i had him profiled right (laughs) so exactly he's probably this guy's gonna die like i don't worry about it race yeah he said like when he saw me go out because the race was pretty modest at the beginning we all kind of like it was me him josh fry and uh one other guy and i 
can't remember his name. Um, but we all just went out to pack and it was fine. And then at one point I was like, if I want any real shot of winning this, like I didn't, something occurred to me in my mind in the race, like I should try to win. <laughs> um, what a weird, profound thought. And I was like, if I ever want to beat these guys, they have no idea who I am. If I just take off and run like a five twenty mile, they won't go. There's no way they'll go with me. And so, you know how Seattle winds into the woods. Yep. Uh, when we got into the woods, I was like, that's perfect. There's so many turns. It's so blind. They'll have no idea how big of a gap I'm putting on them. And so I did just that. I like went out really hard into the woods. I made myself like a hundred foot gap. And then when I got to the woods section, I ran probably the hardest, fastest 5k of the entire beast. And it was like maybe three miles in, but I did it there to like mile six. So that when I came out, I'd have this just gigantic leap. Um, and I came out of the woods and I did like some barbed wire rolls and the rolling mud. And then I looked behind me and they hadn't even come out of the woods. And I was like, after a full barbed wire. Wow. Oh yeah. I was like, no, I was far ahead. And then I eventually, when I was about to get to the spear, I turned back and I saw Aaron Newell coming out of the brush and I was like, I got him. Like I, I have these guys. It's the mistakes already been made. And, uh, I hit the spear felt really good. I was like, there's no way if I run this correctly, I'm losing this race. Um, which I don't know is true now because after I, after I talked with, uh, Aaron afterwards, his last 5k was dirty. It was, Oh he really? Was he tried. Me. Yeah, he really? was hunting me, but I just felt so relaxed because I, you know, that I heard on the announcers, the guys are driving the golf carts next to you. And I heard over the walkie talkies like, yeah, Newell missed the spear. I was like, Oh, I, start I can walking. Like, I can come off the gas a little bit. I don't have to like cramp up or anything here. And so, yeah, I was just really comfortable. It was the first time in a Spartan race. I felt like I was in control. Like I was controlling the race and I wasn't just getting like accelerated and like pulled by these like pros. Right. So I learned how to run my race at OCR at Seattle. And I mean, that was that your last race of the season last year. Yeah, I did. No, it wasn't. So I was so excited about that. I was like, shoot, I should run California. And so I signed up and I started to realize why people do the Saturday and the Sunday. Like it just isn't financially feasible if you're a good athlete to not race all of the distances. Right. That's that's what, that's what Aaron does. That's what Aaron was doing last year. If there was a race anywhere near him. Right. Yeah. And he, he won the next day. Everyone's like, are you running tomorrow? And I was like, no, absolutely not. Yeah, totally. (laughs) But no, I ran, I, so I ran in Sacramento, um, and I knew that it was dueling with the, it's like a Nevada one. It starts with an L. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. LAU so or whatever. Yeah. I knew that like, yeah, Batris was well, running there and some other fast guys were like, oh, maybe everyone will go to Nevada and then this will just be like a clean, clean sweep. I can go to California for a weekend, make a thousand bucks. And I got there and, uh, the first, the first, uh, race was a super, And that I raced that day. I raced Chuck. uh, I don't know why I can't think of his last name. He hasn't done Spartan in a while, but he was pretty good when he did it a few years back. Um, Anyway, I raced Chuck and it's funny because he was my roommate who went with me, uh, his college professor. (laughs) So really it's weird. The connections you make in OCR, you're like, everybody kind of knows somebody. Yeah. Uh, uh, But I raced him and I missed my spear and I lost. I got third. Uh, it put me back in a few places. So I got third, got like a hundred bucks and I was like, well, tomorrow I'll do better. And then got on the starting line Sunday for the sprint and VJ was there and I was like, hmm. Oh, all right. Well, you know, I'll give him my best shot. And 
I learned how important carries were that day and how important <laughs> like transitioning between obstacles was. So I got second nice. uh, on Sunday. So it was like moderately successful, but I, I love the beast distance. It feels the best for me. And I mean, like, even looking at it in terms of like your best OCR accomplishment is like beating one person. It's not necessarily the case because it's more of like the trajectory in which you took in the course of a season and just like learning a lot and like learning as much as you did in that short of a window. Cause that's like April to, to what, like, to like September. October, September. Yeah. Yeah. April, so, September, I went from like not knowing anything to being like, I want to be in the top 10 in the sport. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. So, and of course, there are five months. Like, so like you, you, just even a comp like from someone like you who has a, a pedigree as a, a, a runner who comes into the sport and then decides that they want to do well in it and like actually execute on it. Mm-hmm. That's like kind of the difference between these runners who don't, who just want to come in and want to win right away. A lot of, a lot of times runners come in and they'll get 25th at Seattle. If they get hit with penalties, like, Oh, this is bullshit. This is stupid. I don't want to train mm-hmm. like this, but that's not what you did. You're like, all right, I'm figuring this out and yeah. I'm going to do better. And you did do better almost ex- on your own by yourself right so like um it, that it is an accomplishment right <laughs> yeah. so i said that that's it a great accomplishment like it was on my own um but like there's no way i could have like i had a lot of help like 100 like even if it's like texting nick Riker or like even at the end of the year even though i haven't raced yet like getting hooked up with more people and knowing like the community getting to meet you um having i have a friend named ryan yaggy and he helped me with weights for like six, seven months was just showing me kind of how to lift to get better grip. And, you know, I had a lot of like assistant coaches. Uh, Right. So yeah, I like motivation wise and like I did the the doing, but I did have like a a lot of people taking time to like help me be successful. So I think that is important. Like people who are new to Spartan should realize that if you want to like go and be good at it, you can't just, like go start running on your own, not talk to anybody and just go to these events and learn that way. You have to like network to an extent. And that's ideally what we're doing right now, right? We're giving people an insight (laughs) into someone like yourself and like, it's like, okay, how did, how did, how does someone get good at this so fast? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not like you're a a success over five months. And in in terms, like, like I said, like you've won one race, and, that, and like, there were some good people there and you've been on the podium a couple times now, but like, there's a long way to go. Right. Oh yeah. This, this year, if it opens up, like I am super excited about 2021. Me too, um, man. I'm real excited for you. What do you, yeah. what do you need to do now to get to that uh, and I mean, to get to where you want to go? So what, since la- yeah. What, what to do, right? Like this, this giant yeah. list. If so I let's though, before that, yeah. what if 2021 goes, what would uh, an outcome be that you'd be like happy with outside of like, you know, pushing yourself to what we talked about, push yourself to be like, if you push yourself as hard as you could and got the most out of yourself next season, like, what do you think you would be capable of in terms of like the results? Yeah. And it's hard for me to peg that to a, like a uh, tangible goal. Like, Oh, I want to be top 10 at a, you know, a national series race or like, Oh, I want to win this many times or podium this many times. It's not so much that is I just want when I'm done with 2021 for if my name gets brought up, people know that I'm a racer in OCR. Like, like if you're going to talk about who's showing up at a race, my goal would be that I do well enough that people are like, Oh, Nick is in the race today. That is a name to look at. Like this is somebody who you should take serious if they're at the venue. I don't really care if I, 
you know, if I end up winning a race or if I, you know, get top 10 in the national series, if I could go to all the meets, it's just more that I want to be recognized as somebody who is a competitor. Mm-hmm. Um, I want people to be worried. <laughs> like if I'm in a race that I have a shot of beating them, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't like showing up to these venues. Like it's nice. Cause you don't have a target on your head, but I don't like showing up to these venues and having nobody know who you are and having like five people like cut in front of me and walk in front line. of the start line. And it's just like, <laughs> Dude, you have no idea what I'm about to try and do. <laughs> I used to hate, they used to be my biggest gripe about like Spartan is just this ridiculous start. And before like there was even like now they have that gated process, right? So like you can't just sign up for elite if you want to go earlier. And that was mm. my thing too. I was like, I hate starting like six rows back needing to get around mm. people, even though my results weren't very good. But then I started getting like pretty good results. And now I can just walk to the front. <laughs> yeah, and it, it is better like that. You're on the protein, so like you. Well, I, the- I actually never had a race under the protein. I had one race of the protein. Like, yeah. Oh well, the headband is like the VIP pass. Like you just stroll through it. I remember the first time I saw how that worked was at Seattle, and I was trying to like just not be 20 rows back at that uh, national series race, and Ryan Kent walks by me, and his veins on his arms are bigger than my biceps. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, like there's some big dudes here. And yeah. the announcer was like, big man coming through, let him through folks. And I was like, that's some respect that the announcer is just like parting the red sea for Ryan Kent. Yeah. And, and he won like, the race I that. two years ago, the year before, I think he did really well there too. Yeah. Um, so I was like, yeah, that's, I want that. I want people to, to know. <laughs> so how do you get there? Uh, it's like equal parts training, which I'm not even worried about. Uh, the running, it's going to happen. The lifting, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the physical stuff that like people worry about, like, oh, I really need to work hard this year. That is like bread and butter. I'm going to do that. No problem. The, the big thing for me is the learning curve. So like I look at Spartan Race equal parts training physically and mentally. So there's, I'm still like a baby when it comes to knowing how to do all the things. And I talked to Ian Darrell about this in uh, Sacramento and he was like, you just need to learn how to enter and exit an obstacle and to do that with all of them. Mm. And so that's a big focus for me is not so much like the, the running, the lifting, the everything everybody does. It's understanding an obstacle and how to approach it and like kind of have a higher racing IQ than other people. Uh, which I would say is something I'm really good at when it comes to just running. Like I have a, a pretty good racing IQ. Uh, I usually race better than my physical ability would say on paper. Um, but in OCR, there's so many more elements and there's so much I still don't know. Like I don't have a perfected pinch grip for the tire. I don't, I don't really have a great rolling method for any of the nets. Uh, I, I just got a spear, you know, for the spear throw. So cleaning that up is how I'm going to get there. Like as, as hard as I work, if I don't prepare myself to learn how to do these things efficiently, I'm just going to get beat. Um, yeah. And there's, that's also a reason why, like there's always something to be said about experience. And I found that with obstacle course racing, it kind of takes it to that next level with experience. There's just so many places to make small mistakes where a road race or a track race, there's like you, if you make a mistake, you're going to make one and it's going to screw you up. But in mm-hmm. OCR, you can make one and recover, but you could also make like 10. <laughs> you could just consistently make little mistakes that other people aren't making, and that's going to add time. And that's another reason why, as much as I don't like back-to-back racing, is like 
why it's kind of important to do these races back to back and just getting out mm -hmm. there and, and learning what to do in certain uh, situations. So I agree. And I think uh, like, like, uh, like what you said about filling your notebook with things that you could have done differently or um, like just doing that in, in terms of like the foresight of things, like writing things out, like what you're going to do and then kind of have a reflection. Like that's probably as much as you can do in terms of like visualization and trying to figure that out as well. Um, mm -hmm. But I think you're right. Like in terms of talent and doing the work, like you're going to do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's just a matter of like putting it together on those races. That, that's cool. What else? Uh, what, do, what do you think you could do for that to help with the race IQ? This, well, first of all, talking to everybody in Torque um, no. will be huge. So like talking to you, talking to Nick, talking to everybody on the team. Like I know you two the best, but there's plenty of people I can reach out to now who I know, like the nice thing about being newer at the sport is I know all of you, most of you have more racing experience. So if I have a question, it's just like a text away or like mm -hmm. a message away. And um, so just like talking to people, looking over film, like I know film study seems like a, like a ball sport kind of thing, but I have watched probably every national series race through and then like used the scrub bar and just gone back and forth. Like I have studied the way Ryan Atkins goes through some obstacles over and over and over again. Cause I just can't figure out how he enters an obstacle with people and he leaves 20 seconds ahead. And I was like, that's amazing. There's 30 obstacles in this race. If you could be even five seconds more efficient in each of them, you're minutes ahead of people. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's the other thing is I just watch, I watch people who are better than me. And I ask like, what are they doing? Cause there's no reason I have two hands, two arms, two legs. Like I can do what those people can do. There's a method. Um, so yeah, just like studying. It's, I think it's a lot of learning. Yeah. And I think you're right. Like figuring out what the adaptation you need to, to, to get those type of results. Like it's not going to be just the output, like your aerobic output, your anaerobic threshold. Like mm -hmm. you're already there. And like, you know, that's where I'm at too. It's like, we're already there in terms of, but like, what are the little things and how do we create those little things that will get us to that next level in terms of like, yeah, the obstacles are, are running through with efficiency. And that's why I love the races opposed to like, like I liked OCR stars. Like it was a fun competition but you could not use any of that in the OCR stars. There was no strategy going in other than just redline, like mm -hmm. redline yourself in the mile. It wasn't like, okay, I'm going to draft here. And then I'm going to like use this section. It was like, just go as hard as you can. And go. I think yeah. that's the fun part about these races is that you don't have to be, you know, exerting yourself on every single section. You can pick the parts that you're best at and like really do well there and then just kind of like get by on the rest of it. Cause nobody's a master of the entire course. Right. And like, yeah, especially in those terms, like, okay, this is where I need to execute and this making sure you do execute and making sure that you are aware of that and having that race plan. And that's why I'm really excited about that with Torque is being able to look at race maps. And like, if there's four or five of us all going to, the same course or something mm -hmm. it's like okay how are we going to do this like how like nick what do you think where here is where you're going to do well where's going to be a struggle that's going like, to be so you, fun that's, that's going to be that's awesome. like what we were talking about with how i felt when i got to college of having this like group to collaborate with uh just like yeah talking about a race a spartan race before because that's like my favorite thing to do the day before a competition is like talk about how you're going to execute it i love visualization um and to have someone to verbally like communicate that with is so important uh 
you know, you learn the best when you're like talking about things and teaching other people and like asking the questions up front. Um, every time I get a course map, I just look at it and I go, okay, there's the bucket. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. I'd like to go a little more in depth than that. Right. And that's the thing. Like I agree with the way I learn is like speaking things as well. It's like, I need to say things out loud and then that's kind of what maps things better in my brain. Whereas opposed to just looking at it and being like, I kind of understand what's going on. Then I'm out on the course. I'm like, I don't, I don't really know what's coming up next. I I, I really didn't do my diligence Mm -hmm. on this. Yeah. But yeah, having a team where it's going to be advantageous, it's going to be really huge. Um, And on the actual like personal part, you are expecting you and your wife are expecting a little one soon. Yep, we are. Few so weeks. how many weeks? Well, they said any day. The due date's like New Year's, so we're expecting like a first week of January. Do you, would you rather in January or like are you worried that like the holidays are going to steal the baby's thunder and, and big birthdays to come? <laughs> no matter what, the holiday would steal the birthday. So we're going to we're going to level with it and just be like if you when it can talk, you know, not like the first <laughs> few years, but like we're going to tell uh, our kid like, Hey, if you want to have your birthday in the summer, we'll celebrate it then. You know, oh, nice. The summer. Cause nothing really happens like June, July, August. So like just pick a day, we'll celebrate it that day. And then yeah. you can have Christmas on the opposite side of the calendar. When's your birthday? April 22nd. It's okay. Earth Day. It's Earth day. day. Everybody recycles like, you know, they get the really one day about it for one day. Yeah. And then they don't <laughs> plant, plant a tree. The, um, so that's a good one because like the weather's like, pretty nice my fiance is like april 29th so like the weather's like mm-hmm. getting better and you're still in school as like a child so like yep. you get to because a summer kind of gets um gypped on that they never get to celebrate with their friends in, in school it steals but, uh, the thunder of the birthday but a holiday one that's yeah. bo- that's that's rough on both ends they're, my they're birthday have fallen on easter once though oh really because easter's a moving target it can be it like is. march it can be april you know, it, it I never know what's around. happening in April. My birthday's on St. Patrick's Day. Ooh. So I thought that was always really cool until until like we were old enough to drink. And then I realized nobody was hanging out because it was my birthday. Everybody's mm-hmm. just hanging out to get turnt on St. Patrick's Day. Hey, it's Rich's birthday. Let's all do a bar crawl. And you're like, that's not really what I want to do, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's like, <laughs> I guess I'm going. Or I'll be out and they'll be like, wait, it's your birthday, right? I'm like, yeah, it's my birthday. Like, All right, come on, get a, come, come take some drinks. I'm like, okay. So, yeah, no, so yeah. you never have to get, you have to worry about getting people out, but uh, they might not be necessarily celebrating my birthday. That's a double-edged sword. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. I like the color green. I'm super Irish, so it's fine. Um, so how do you anticipate your priorities or in terms of training? Like how is this going to shift things because this is your first child you're you you guys are expecting yes. as a family and it's going to be the first time you're going to have to train with the child as well so what, how do you foresee this changing things so i imagine it's going to be pretty bad pretty tough uh <laughs> like um the hard thing for me is i have like 20 different hobbies like i love doing a bunch of different stuff with a bunch of different communities um and they have like varying levels of time they take up. And as of to now, I've been able to do quite a few of them. And I know that when the child's born, it's like, that is the focus. There's nothing that comes in front of that. Uh, no matter how bad I want to be, you know, good at something like Spartan race, it's not going to take priority over my kid. 
Um, but what I think it has done for me, like knowing that I'm going to be a dad soon is that I have this like perspective shift that I'm okay with spending 80% of my time for my kid. And then with that remaining 20, just dropping everything else I have to get good at what I want to get good at. It's really helped me kind of like cleanse the side things that I used to do mm-hmm. and really dial in on like, what's important to me. Uh, and I know like, now I understand what's important to me. And to me, it's, you know, it's raising my kid and I want to be the best I can be at this sport. So, yeah. I mean, I guess that's one way to look at it. You can kind of really, you're really going to have to be laser focused on certain areas that can't be things in the periphery. Mm-hmm. Um, when you guys found out, um, that your wife was pregnant, did you instantly feel a shift in, in like priorities? I mean, I don't have a kid, I don't have a child, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that's going to feel like. I can only imagine like the, a draw or a pull away from myself. Was that something that happened instantly? Or you think that when you're, do you know if it's a boy or a girl? We're just saying you're, you're we don't know. No, we're it, yeah. going in surprise. That, that, that'll be fine. That'll be yeah. fine. Um, so when your, your child arrives, are you thinking that you're going to be taken off, like off guard by how much it's going to change things? Or you think, think you have any idea? So I'm, I think I'm a weirdo because I have had no panic. I'm not nervous. I have no stress or anxiety about it. Like basically when we found out, I was like, all right, we got plenty of time. Like <laughs> my wife's the opposite. She's like, we, we have done nothing. There's so much to do. And she's probably right. I'm just the kind of person I am is like, go with the flow. Doesn't bug me. I rarely get stressed. So yeah, finding out that I was having a kid, I was like, all right, cool. Well, we'll make a plan and I'll just, shift what I need to do to make that work. Like I'm, I'm the kind of person where it's like, okay, I'll commit to this and I'll figure out how to do it in the process of getting there. Um, and so now that we have like the nursery built and you know, pretty much everything we need for when it happens, uh, I'm just going to go with it. I'm going to be like, okay, I'm going to get into a schedule, get into a rhythm, uh, you know, first two weeks of it, see what it's like, not sleeping. Um, and then try to run while that's happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, if it's really hard and impossible to do, maybe I shift how I train for a little bit. But, you know, it's good timing because, like, if we're talking training-wise, races don't, aren't even going to happen until, like, summer. Right. So I have the first six months, which are super draining, uh, where there's no racing going on. I don't have to worry about leaving for any of that. So That's true. No, yeah. I'm not, I'm not panicked at all. I'm, I'm pretty ready, I think. Uh, I'm not going to, I'm not saying it's going to be a breeze cause I know it's like exhausting. Um, but I'm just ready for it to be exhausting. Yeah. And I guess it's a good, a good way to approach it's like just being malleable and when things need to change, they'll change. And it seems yep. like that you're, you're set on that. You're not like, well, I'm definitely going to train, you know, still going to run like, you know, 15 hours a week. That's, yeah. doesn't seem, <laughs> it's like, it's like, well, mm, probably not. Um, yeah. what are you excited about the most? Oh man. I, right now, and this probably seems like super superficial, um, is just, I want to know what it looks like. I want to know like, Oh, did it take after me or her? Is it a boy or a girl? Like, I'm really excited just to, just to know like who this person is. Um, later on down the road though, I'm just really excited to teach it things like, Mm. so I'm a teacher, that's my job. Um, and so to have like your own kid to personally do that one-on-one with feels like such a rewarding experience because it's like, you can they can learn anything. They're like the most malleable, they're sponges. 
and like, I know a lot of people are like, oh, you know, the average 10 year old asks like one trillion questions a day or, you know, and it's like, great. I love talking. I, <laughs> I have love- one trillion answers. Yeah, I, I have more than that. Like I, I'll have one trillion follow-up questions. So, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm ready to be more energetic than my kid. Uh, so that'll be fun. And I come from like a really small family, like only children had only children had only children. I've only uh-huh. held a baby for like five seconds before. So I have no experience with like having a big family and like having, having a baby around or having a kid. So I'm just excited. Like everything, every new experience I have is going to be a blast. Yeah, man. I could, I mean, I could tell them that you, you seem like that to a person. It's like new experience. Like, great. Let's, yes. let's <laughs> see. And I can't imagine there anything that's going to change things as drastically as, as this as becoming a father. So that's really cool, man. Yep. Also, when I announced this to Nick Riker, he said, oh man, and I thought you were going to be a good athlete. I know. (laughs) That's like a tiny piece of motivation that I have held on to. It's like, okay, remember that, Nick. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, because I mean, there's no telling, right? There's no telling what's going to happen, but there are plenty of people. I mean, like we talked about, Mark Audet is on the the team and he trains like a madman and He's a, uh, uh, he works full time and he performs really well. And he has, he has two little ones and there's plenty of people on the OCR circuit. I mean, Hobie Call was winning world championships and with, I think he has like a dozen children. Really? <laughs> I think, I think, yeah, yeah, he has several. I don't, I've, I don't know much about his family, but I know well, he has like three or four kids and was still you know, like training. Two words for you, dad strength. It's real. That, that's, that's going to happen. It's instant too. Yes. And it just, it immediately enters your body and you have it forever. So. You're worried about the bucket carry, but. Just not wait. anymore. Just nope. wait. <laughs> um, cool, Nick. Well, uh, we'll wrap it up, but we're going to check in with you periodically. I'm, I'm excited to, to follow up on these things. I think your story is obviously incredibly relatable in terms of wanting to train at a high level while bringing life into this world. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to be really interested in following up on that end. And then when we get start getting ready for some of the races, some of the bigger races or some of any of the races, we'll, we'll have you come on and um, talk about the prep and how you're training and, and all that's going. So um, I know you're pretty humble on social media, but do you care to share handles in terms of where people can follow you? Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm basically all Instagram. I think I have a Facebook floating around that is not controlled by me. So <laughs> um, yeah. So Instagram is the best place to reach me. Uh, my handle's at Nick Mask, and it's spelled just like, like your last name, spelled, not which is not like the because, face mask. Like yeah, because nobody knows how to spell my name; they'll never find me. But if if they want to, it's it. It's N I C. So there's your first curveball. There's no K, <laughs> uh, and then yeah, M A S Z K. So snuck a Z in there. Not making it easy. So I'll, I'll link to this for everybody so they can eat, just click it and then have to worry That'd about this. Yeah. It's probably much easier. Um, well, cool, dude. Well, I really do appreciate you tra- uh, popping on. I'm, I'm super excited to see what you got going on this season. I think you're going to have awesome results. And um, you're on Jack Bauer's 2021 list of male competitors to look out for. Yeah, I can't let him down. Can't let Jack down. Nope. He, he, and he's always right. So I think he's okay. on something with that. So now. Watch out for you. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you jumping on. So I'll I'll hit stop and we'll stay on here for a sec. All right. All right. We'll see you guys. See you.